from deep inside your radio. Ladies and gentlemen, you are aware, of course, that not only Ferguson, Missouri, but Cleveland, Ohio, and Staten Island, New York, have seen instances where members of local police departments have shot and killed young black men. In the cases of Ferguson and Staten Island, the upshot, no pun intended, has been that grand juries failed to indict the shooter. Very different factual circumstances in uh, Staten Island and Ferguson, Missouri. And I don't think a grand jury has yet ruled if it's even been impaneled on the situation of 12-year-old Tamir Rice in Cleveland, Ohio, who had a pellet gun, a toy gun in his hands when he was shot and killed by a police officer, a police officer who had formerly been employed by a suburban police department but had been fired there for problems in during his firearms training, a, um, a blemish on, on his record which had never been investigated or even apparently noticed by the Cleveland Police Department when they hired that officer. Um, the other interesting fact about that situation is, according to reports, the length of time that transpired between the officer's arrival on the scene where the 12-year-old was reportedly brandishing a toy pellet gun, the length of time that transpired between the officer's arrival and the shooting was two seconds. That's fast thinking. In the wake of all this, uh, of course, some authorities on the subject of law enforcement and, and race have been heard from. I mentioned this last week. The national conversation about race, always, always a good idea. Ray Kelly, the former head of the New York City Police Department, was on this week with George Stephanopoulos last week. I know, this week was last week. Go figure. And he was asked by the hostess of the program, Martha Raddatz, disguised as George Stephanopoulos just for the occasion, whether there is a way to train police to shoot other than to kill. The notion that somehow you can shoot to wound just simply uh, it doesn't work. You train police officers to shoot for mass. You, you train them to shoot to, uh, to stop. And the only way you can wound somebody or shoot a weapon out of the hands is in the movies. Now, this is a great example, ladies and gentlemen. I talked last week about the, the uh, oddity that immigration is a political hot-button issue in the United States and Britain and Germany and Greece, as it turns out. And yet each country treats it as its own individual problem. Here's a great example of ignoring an example from another country. Last year in London... Two jihadis decided they were going to murder a British soldier. And they did so. Uh, a, a British soldier by the name of Lee Rigby was walking down the street in South London. He was attacked and killed by these jihadis in broad daylight. Unarmed police then responded to the scene, surrounded the jihadis. Then armed police arrived. And when the jihadis, the two, the two young men, started charging towards the armed police. The armed police, and those are very rare in Britain, as you may know, shot and wounded both of the charging jihadis. They were then arrested 
and have recently been convicted after a trial. But that was just in the movies. Hello, welcome to the show. All around the town The kids sang ring around Rosie London bridges falling down Boys and girls together Lee and Mamie O'Rourke We tripped the light fantastic On the sidewalks of New York And bought herself a sweet little Alice blue gown All the fellas dug her You should have heard them squawk When I escorted Mamie Round the sidewalks of New York Then we split to P.J. Clark's On to Chuck's composite Then a drink at the start We won't get home until morning Cause we're gonna take a walk On the sidewalks of New York New York, New York, New York New York City, where they definitely, apparently, don't love Lucy's. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, News of the Olympic Movement. Produced by Jim Eversall, Jr. Dateline, Rio de Janeiro. Brazil's tourism ministry has removed from its Instagram feed a photo montage that pictures the Rio de Janeiro Bay, where Olympic sailing events will take place, as a tropical paradise of crystalline waters, a far cry from the reality of its brackish, sewage-filled waters. This according to the Associated Press. The water quality, as we've reported to you, Many of the time on this broadcast of Rio's Guanabara Bay has become one of the hot-button hot issues of the 2016 Olympics with less than two years to go before the Games and few signs the government will succeed in making good on its promised cleanup. In the city's Olympic bid, authorities promised to slash the amount of trash and raw sewage, raw sewage, not the cooked variety, flowing in the bay by 90% ahead of the Games. But the waters remain so polluted that some sailors have openly voiced their concerns about competitive and health risks. They did not slash the trash. The tourism ministry's Instagram post 
last week. Through fuel in the fire, the photomontage pictured the Gloria Marina, the main dock on the bay, sitting right there as a pristine, undeveloped cove of sheer rocks with a limpid waterfall and sailboats anchored in clear turquoise waters. A report in Rio's O Globo newspaper said the photo was originally the work of Instagram user Marcos Khalil, whose feed is largely made up of heavily doctored images of Rio landscapes. The ministry's caption gave no indication the photo was faked. Oops, we made a mistake, said a real photo posted Monday in its place. This is a photo of the real Gloria Marino. The region is still naturally beautiful, quote, unquote. Not considering what the humans have done to the nat natural part. In a statement, the ministry explained the fake photo was part of a two-year project with Instagram aimed at getting users in Brazil to tag the most appealing photos of the country and its landscape. The photo published didn't live up to the tourism ministry's criteria, the statement said. It was the first time something like this happened. Nearly 70% of the sewage in Greater Rio, a city of 12 million, goes untreated, flowing raw into rivers, onto the beaches, and into Guanabara Bay. Authorities recently announced plans to cap a pipe that pumps untreated sewage into the Gloria Marina, which will be the starting point of Olympic sailing and windsurfing events. Authorities insist they're making progress with the cleanup, saying Guanabara Bay will be clean in time for the Games. And the 2018 Pyeongchang Olympics may be in limbo, with the government and Guangguang province locking horns over who will cover the 11, well, sorry, the $10 billion cost for the quadrennial event, especially the cost of building the Olympic Stadium. The Provincial Council recently threatened that if the government does not provide sufficient financial support for the Olympics, it will, quote, readily give up the right to host the event. Unquote. When asked about its stance over this threat, the IOC said last week it will not speculate on hypothetical situations. The harsh remarks came shortly after the government's recent decision regarding the construction of the new Olympic Stadium. Deciding to cover only 50% of the cost, the province wants the government to cover 75% of the cost. But it's the Olympics! It's a movement! Don't they understand that? And we all need one. Every day! Now, ladies and gentlemen, we've got the ultra modern knack of getting oil from the deepest crack. So give the boys just a bit of slack and say a hearty what the what the frack, frack, ladies and gentlemen. People who live near fracking operations should be monitored for chemical contaminants and health problems, according to researchers who surveyed the risks posed by substances used in the process. Scientists in the U.S. found that many of the 750 or so chemicals pumped into the ground at high pressure to fracture shell rock are associated with fertility and developmental problems. This according to The Guardian. But while the chemicals have been linked to various health effects, ranging from poor semen quality and endocrine problems to miscarriages and low birth weight, very little is known about the levels of chemicals people are actually exposed to from fracking operations, making it impossible to assess the real risk. The scientists studied Juan published scientific reports into the health impacts of chemicals such as benzene and toluene, and elements including cadmium and arsenic that are released from rocks in the drilling process. 
team led by Susan Nagel at the University of Missouri fear that fracking chemicals could contaminate air, water, and soil and expose workers and local communities to the substances. Quote, we desperately need biomonitoring data from these people, what people are actually exposed to, what are the blood levels of people living in these areas, what are the levels in the workers, said Nagel. It is absolutely in the realm of possibility that at current human exposure levels, we might expect to see some of these effects, and at the very least, we should be looking for them, she added. The rapid rise of unconventional oil and natural gas operations increases the risk of air and water pollution, according to the scientists writing in environment reviews on environmental health. In the U.S., more than 15 million people live within one mile of such operations. A co-author on the study said another major unknown was how low-level but long-term exposure from multiple chemicals might affect people's health. In light of the potential harms, she argues, the industry should be kept from expanding until the risks are better understood. Unquote. Is she kidding? What the frack? And now, ladies and gentlemen, news of the warm, won't you? The award-winning news of the warm. Soft listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. This is potentially almost encouraging. While the threat of coral bleaching as a result of, you remember her, Icarus from the 40s, as a result of climate change poses a serious risk to the future of coral reefs worldwide, new research has found that some baby corals may be able to cope with the negative effects of ocean, ocean acidification. Baby corals, and they're so cute with their big eyes. Ocean acidification, which is a direct consequence of increased atmospheric carbon dioxide levels, is expected to have a deleterious effect on many marine species over the next century. But an international team examining the impact of ocean acidification on coral has found that a key reef-building coral can, over a relatively short period of time, acclimate to a doubling of atmospheric carbon dioxide levels. Quote, our aim was to explore the effect of a more acidic ocean on every gene in the coral genome says the lead author, Dr. Aurelie Moya, with the Australian Research Council of Center of Excellence. He left the Center of Mediocrity. No, they were, there's no such thing. The researchers exposed baby corals from the Great Barrier Reef to acidified seawater for varying lengths of time and investigated how they responded at a molecular level. Tom? At a molecular level? Mm -hmm. We found that whereas three days of exposure to high CO2 disrupts formations of the coral skeleton, within nine days, the baby corals had readjusted their gene expression to pre-exposure levels. Longer exposure seems to be less detrimental to coral health than we had assumed based on shorter-term studies, said the author. These findings suggest that baby corals have the capacity to acclimate to elevated carbon dioxide. The uh, study is an essential first step, says the author, to better understand how reef-building corals adapt. However, he remains cautious about the ability of corals to tolerate the combination of increased carbon dioxide and climate change. The next step is to investigate, he says, the effect of combined stressors on coral. Or to just give up and go home. Scientists have solved a long-standing enigma known as the African Humid Period, an intense increase in cumulative rainfall in parts of Africa that began long, after a long dry spell following the end of the last ice age and lasting nearly 10,000 years. 
In a new study published this week in Science, an international research team linked the increase in rainfall in two regions of Africa thousands of years ago to an increase in greenhouse gas concentrations. The study was found, funded by the National Science Foundation and the U.S. Department of Energy. The um, study recreated records of past moisture conditioning, uh, past moisture conditions. You don't want to do any moisture conditioning if you don't have to. By examining fossils, former lake levels, and other geologic data, and simulated past climate with a power climate model. My favorite kind of model. The future impact of greenhouse gases on rainfall in Africa is a critical socionomic issue, said the author of the study. Africa's climate seems destined to change with far-reaching implications for water resource and agriculture in ways that may generate new conflicts. And it takes just 10 years for a single emission, pardon me, of carbon dioxide to have its maximum warming effects on the earth. This according to researchers at the Carnegie Institute for, sorry, Carnegie Institute for Science, who have dispelled a common misconception that the main warming effects from CO2 will not be felt for several decades. The results published in Environmental Research Letters See, they still write letters. Also confirmed that warming can persist for more than a century and suggest that the benefits from emission reductions will be felt by those who've worked to curb the emissions and not just future generations. Some of these benefits would be the, the avoidance of extreme weather events such as droughts, heat waves, and flooding, which are expected to increase with the change in temperature. However, some of the bigger climate impacts from warming, such as sea level rise, melting ice sheets, and long-lasting damage to ecosystems will have a much bigger time lag, may not occur for hundreds or thousands of years later, according to the researchers. So apologize to your grandchildren now, won't you? Oh, and one more item. Minor volcanic eruptions substantially slowed Earth's warming between 2000 and last year, according to a new study. The small particles, aerosols, Imagine that. We're spewed high into the atmosphere and scattered sunlight back into space, preventing the global average temperature from rising from 0.05 degrees centigrade to 0.12 centigrade degrees. That cooling effect represents between 25% and half of the expected temperature rise during that period because of greenhouse gas concentrations, the scientists say. The finding helps explain the so-called hiatus in global warming over the past 15 years. This is an important paper, says an atmospheric scientist at University of Colorado Boulder. The team's results help us understand why Earth didn't warm as much as expected by climate models in the past decade or so. Scientists have long known of the cooling effect of major volcanic eruptions. Mount Pinatubo in the Philippines, for example, cooled Earth by a few tenths of a degree Celsius for months after it blew in June 1991. But the chilling effect of minor eruptions has been hotly debated. Debated, Yet these cooling effects do not completely account for the hiatus. Two scientists say, the scientists increasingly believe most of the rest of the missing heat has gone into deep ocean waters. Another source of cooling is expected to be aerosols from industry in East Asia. So I guess the lesson there is, have the Chinese build more volcanoes? News of the Warm, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the uh, United States Supreme Court is taking up a case coming from Texas involving a complaint by the Sons of Confederate Veterans against uh, the Department of Motor Vehicles in Texas. 
after an application for a specialty license plate was deemed potentially offensive. The Sons of Confederate Veterans, yes, made up of male descendants of Confederate veterans, describing its mission as honoring and keeping alive the memory of the Confederacy and the principles for which Confederates fought, thus giving the world an understanding and appreciation of the Southern people and their brave history. The proposed license plate design included the organization's name and its seal bearing the Confederate battle flag. The uh, Sons of Confederate Veterans argue that nine other states, all of them Southern, oddly enough, issue similar license plates. As I say, this will, this case is being taken up by the Supreme Court. They might want to consider one fact. The Confederacy lost the war. Southland, land of cotton and loam Losers, got to have a place to call home Secession, well, it's the source of our pride Cause our kinfolk were on the losing side Yeah, our kinfolk were on the losing side Oh, the stars and bars will never be forgotten On our state flag, the X marks the spot It took bravery to fight for slavery That's how we're inclined Cause we're just the losing kind Always left behind Cause we're just the losing kind Jackson It's Anglo-Saxon no more Making You be shaken When you go to the store Throughout our states There is this deep divide Cause our kinfolk were on The losing side Yeah, our kinfolk were on The losing side Oh, the stars and bars Will never be forgotten We're Johnny Red And not some hot and top Yet to bravery for slavery You can't be colorblind When you're with the losing kind This ain't what we design Cause we're just the losing kind Oh, we love our flag It says just who we are Don't watch, we rewind Cause we're just the losing kind Surrender's what we sign Cause we're just the losing 
From New York City, this is Le Show. And now, ladies and gentlemen. He's not a general. He commands no troops. He's not an inspector. He peeks at no stoops. He's an inspector general. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. News of inspectors general. The Nuclear Regulatory Commission is failing to perform required continuous monitoring measures and update other security weaknesses that it's known about for years, according to the NRC's Office of the Inspector General. With the help of a third-party independent auditor, the Inspector General found that the NRC continues to approve its IT system security. Despite that, the Commission still lacks many vital security practices and therefore NRC cannot ensure the effectiveness of information security controls for NRC systems and cannot identify and control risk. And the U.S. nuclear weapons program has been plagued by failings such as misplaced weapons, drug abuse, and a cheating scandal. And now the Energy Department's Inspector General tells us that some federal employees who transport nuclear weapons have engaged in unsuitable behavior such as quote uncontrolled anger the new report focuses on the ironically named office of secure transportation which is managed by the national nuclear security administration a division of something else obviously ost is responsible for the safe and secure transport in the contiguous united states of government-owned special nuclear materials special these classified shipments can contain nuclear weapons or components enriched uranium or plutonium. The cargo is transported in highly modified secure tractor trailers and escorted, escorted by armed federal agents in other vehicles who provide security. The full text of the Inspector General's report is not available. It's been labeled for official use only, but a one-page summary of the findings has been posted online. Quote, we received an allegation that an operations squad commander was engaged in unsuitable, reportable behavior, and even though management was aware of the problems, no disciplinary action was taken. He forced a, fed, a medically restricted agent to participate in physical training, falsified federal documentation relating to a work injury, threatened to pull agents' access, rendering them unable to train or perform their duties. We found that the squad commander, along with other agents, engaged in unsuitable, reportable behaviors such as uncontrolled anger, hostility, and aggression towards fellow workers and authority figures. These incidents were not reported as required. Seven separate incidents that took place over a span of 10 years, most recent occurring in 2013. Senior officials of OST, the Office of Secure Transportation, told us that none of the incidents were reported to them, so they were unable to take disciplinary action. Even though OST had a number of internal controls in place designed to prevent the type of problematic behavior we substantiated. These agents, all of them, had participated in the Energy Department's Human Reliability Program, which was created to ensure that individuals in positions requiring access to certain materials, facilities, and programs meet the highest standards of reliability. Except they didn't. The Internal Revenue Service has not properly secured its system that determines fees for health insurers and pharmaceutical companies under the Affordable Care Act, according to the Inspector General of the Treasury Department. The IRS is required by the ACA to process premiums from insurers and sales data from drug manufacturers for certain government-subsidized programs. The ACA Information Return System, AIR, 
then calculates the annual fees to charge the companies. That system came under the scrutiny of the Inspector General, who released a report concluding the IRS failed to check the source code for bugs or mend several security vulnerabilities. The IRS mostly agreed with the IG's finding. Your team's feedback was very timely. Immediately upon receiving it, we inserted additional IRS oversight on the this contractor-staffed team, i.e. blame the contractors, and completely re-executed a portion of our testing prior to system deployment. The AIG pushed the agency to move more quickly. 14 failures are not scheduled to be fixed until fall of next year, but the IG says our report found some of these weaknesses could be mitigated now. Well, they can. On the other hand, and the man who attempts to hold U.S. government agency, agencies accountable for work in Afghanistan described America's nation-building effort there over the thir- last 13 years as an abysmal failure. It seems like no one is responsible for anything in Afghanistan except to get the money out, says John Sopko, the Special Inspector General for Afghanistan Reconstruction. He blamed a bureaucratic culture, well, at least they got culture, that lacks leadership and a clear mission. When you go to Afghanistan and you talk to the people in the U.S. Embassy, I don't see anybody in charge on developing the economy. There are people who work on it, but there's nobody who's tasked with saying, your job is to make certain the Afghans get a viable economy. And if you don't succeed, you'll be held accountable. Unquote. The, uh, I've not found anybody who's lost a job for screwing up. And there have been a lot of screw-ups in Afghanistan, he says. Sounds like the Corps of Engineers, doesn't it? He compares it to youth sports where each player receives a a participation trophy. Everybody succeeded in Afghanistan. Everybody got a promotion. Everybody got a better job. That's not all he has to say. Here he is in a recent interview with the BBC. This is really a case study, Afghanistan is, of uh, projects and programs that were spent uh, too quickly in too poor of country with too little oversight, too much money also. So I call it the four twos. And when you do that, you usually have uh, a disaster. And uh, to that extent, we have wasted a lot of taxpayer money, probably negatively impacted the Afghan economy because we uh, distorted it. And we have been partners in the dramatic uh, rise in corruption in Afghanistan. I think one of the cases that really stands out for me, uh, it was the purchase of 20 airplanes. We purchased them from the Italians. It's called the G222 or G222. These were cargo planes. We purchased them. The total cost is anywhere from 600 to 800 million dollars. 20 planes uh, uh, which couldn't fly. They were the wrong planes. Uh, the Afghans never used them. We couldn't maintain them. We actually talked to pilots who flew on them who said they were death traps. And just last month, the U.S. government hauled them out of the Kabul, or 16 of them, off the Kabul tar- uh, airport tarmac and had them shredded. So the U.S. taxpayer got $32,000 on a $700 million investment. So that, I think, is probably the most outrageous uh, case we've found. I remember doing an interview back in 2011 with the U.S. Special Inspector General for Iraq Reconstruction. Almost $7 billion of U.S. cash literally sent to Iraq after the U.S.-led invasion in 2003 had simply gone missing. And he called that, and I quote, the largest theft of funds uh, in, in history. It was an extraordinary thing to say. And yet, here I am interviewing you several years later about similar things. 
Well, you know, that is the problem of government. It tends to uh, repeat itself unless we learn from the past. Oh, you mean like Alexander the Great and the British and the Russians invading and Yeah, you're right. Ladies and gentlemen, also this week, um, it became known to those of us in the West what I guess they knew in Afghanistan for the last couple of months, though the two presidential candidates had agreed on a power sharing arrangement in which Abdullah Abdullah, the putative runner-up in the election after the recount, uh, would serve as a CEO while Ashraf Ghani, the putative winner, serves as president. Um, they've not been able to yet to agree on a cabinet, uh, missing at least a couple of deadlines for the completion of the cabinet, which some officials in Washington and other allied capitals worry um, may cause some kind of pause in the in the continuity of uh, Western aid to uh, the Afghan military as the putative. There's the third putative of the day, ladies and gentlemen. Putative pullout of American troops, of, of allied troops, continues. And uh, this week, President Obama therefore announced there's going to be an additional 1,000 American troops staying in Afghanistan to sort of make up for whatever pusillanimity may be affecting our allies in the face of the uh, governmental instability in Kabul. Putative and pusillanimous, ladies and gentlemen. Come on, it's public radio. Anyway, that's how it looks from here. How does it look from there? From Afghanistan Public Radio, where the hosts now pay for this airtime and can say whatever they want. From the abandoned American sound production truck situated in a secure parking lot in downtown Kabul, the city that doesn't know how. <laughs> I'm Mahmoud. And I'm Hamid. We're done and gone. The kick him up, brothers. Welcome to another edition of Cars I Talk. Today's program comes to you with the assistance of the Compromise Foundation. Compromise, nature's way of saying you're both wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, my brother, uh, I have to announce that though we are not in reruns, mm -hmm. we are doing the next best thing, just repeating the act. Oh, very true, my brother. But now that we're no longer in power, mm -hmm. it looks like everybody thinks it's open season on everything Karzai. Except for your Toyota dealership. Mm -hmm. Nobody's taking rhetorical shots at that, are they? Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Just real shots. Really? Oh, yes. Just last night, somebody blew up a used tundra. <laughs> <laughs> well, look at the bright side. That's one odometer you don't have to set back. <laughs> but you know, my younger brother, mm -hmm. it must tell you something that the Americans wait until we are out of power to criticize us publicly. Well, of course, you had the courage to criticize them publicly while you are still on their payroll. Mm. Well, it just goes to prove I can't be bought. But in all fairness, you can be rented. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, you're on Cars I Talk. Hello, this is Abdullah Abdullah, a second time caller, second time caller. Ah, the distinguished CEO of our extinguished nation. Welcome, sir. <laughs> Thank you. It's a pleasure to get a call from a man whose job was made up more recently than Chuck Hagel's resignation letter. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, he didn't really write a letter. 
Uh, yes, and as far as I know, you don't yet really have a job. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, Abdullah, yeah. you're on the inside of the government. Mm-hmm. We're just lowly talk jocks in a yak truck. What is going on? Well, we are having trouble agreeing on the cabinet. Mm. Frankly, President Ghani and I can't even see the eye to eye on an occasional problem. <laughs> <laughs> we are about as likely to agree on anything as Sean Hannity and Al Sharpton. Oh, well, at least they can agree on the value of yelling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm impressed you know so much about American cable TV. Well, I'd be impressed if he knew anything about Afghanistan. <laughs> He's been spending more time in Washington than most of the members of Congress. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's like the famous bank robber said when they asked him why he did that. Mm. It's where the money is. <laughs> <laughs> but, Abdallah, do you have a question? Uh, now that we are self-funding, we've got to be really serious about the format. Mm-hmm. Our funders say if they just want to hear us talk, they can pay less to have dinner with us. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yes, Hamid, mm. I mean, you supported uh, Mr. Ghani in the presidential election, mm-hmm. which he, quote, won, unquote. Mm. So I was just wondering if you think he's attempting to circumvent our post-election agreement by refusing to agree with me on the cabinet and uh, ultimately uh, freezing me out. Mm. Well, to tell you the truth, Abdullah, mm-hmm. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I have to admit, it sounds like a good plan. <laughs> <laughs> or at least a good quote plan, unquote. <laughs> well, obviously, if we keep missing deadlines to form a government, our international partners will start to lose confidence in us. Hmm? Mm, I don't think this is possible. You can't lose what you never had. <laughs> Besides, the most obvious result of your failure to form a government so far is that the Americans are sending another thousand troops back in. Uh-huh. Yes, you keep feeling this way, the Taliban might get really scared. <laughs> <laughs> but, Abdallah, uh-huh. what's really the sticking point on you two having a meeting of the minds? Well, as you know, my one-time opponent and now quote Victor, unquote, in the quote election, unquote, is on a big anti-corruption campaign. Well, of course, we all are until our family members get a hold of the presidential palace hotline. (laughs) (laughs) Well, well, possibly, but he seems pretty serious about this, and I just have a sneaking suspicion that his idea of anti-corruption is to rid the government of anyone who is not a Pashtun. Abdullah, uh, if I may, mm-hmm. this will clear itself up just as soon as our friend Mr. Ghani realizes that there are only two industries in this country, opium and corruption. And corruption is the business that's less likely to get you killed. <laughs> <laughs> so you're telling me I shouldn't just try to cut my best possible deal with the Taliban before this whole thing comes tumbling down? Oh, sure you should, Mm. but uh, you can still stay in power after all. As our American friends have told us so many times about our economy, Mm -hmm. it's not the government's job to pick winners and losers. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Do you have a good number for the Taliban, Uh the one in my phone? Thanks for the call. 
we had hope today from the Karzai Scrap Metal Institute reminding you today's unflyable jets are tomorrow's trash cans. <laughs> Legal services for Karzai Talk from the law firm of Ketchum and Nukum. I'm Hamid and I'm Mahmoud. Join us again for another edition of Cars I Talk. That's right. Next week, we appoint our own Inspector General. Pick me, pick me. <laughs> this is APR, Afghanistan Public Radio. What is the curse that makes the universe so all bewildering? What is the hoax that just provokes the folks they call God's children? What is the jinx that gives a buddy and his brother and everyone around the runaround? Necessity Necessity That most unnecessary thing Necessity What throws the monkey wrench in A fella's good intention That nasty old invention Necessity My feet Wanna dance in the sun My head wants to rest in the shade The Lord says go out and have fun But the landlord says Your rent ain't paid Necessity It's plain to see What a lovely old world This silly old world could be But man, it's all in a mess Account of necessity My feet wanna dance in the sun My head wants to rest in the shade The Lord says get out and have fun But the landlord says Rent ain't paid Necessity It's so plain to see What a lovely old world This silly old world could be But man, it's all in a mess On account of necessity Gentlemen, news of our friend the Adam. Clean, safe, too cheap to meet. Safe, cheap, too cheap to meet. Cheap, safe, too safe to meet. Safe, safe, too safe to meet. Addy the Adam, it's cold enough for you here in New York? Slowing me down a little. Yeah, I would think so. Ladies and gentlemen, the Tokyo, especially my uh, neutrons especially your neutrons. The Tokyo Electric Power Company has moved forward with Plan B for containing and removing radioactive water that's believed to, believed to be polluting groundwater on the seaside of the stricken plant. As the water escapes the facility through underground trenches, 
According to the Japan Times, TEPCO, you may recall, tried to freeze the water between turbine buildings and the trenches to stop the flow so they could extract the contaminated water before it escaped. But that strategy proved ineffective. The water did not freeze fully and efforts failed to arrest the flow. You can't arrest the flow. You can just give it a ticket. Mm-hmm. The new plan is to fill the trenches with concrete. TEPCO estimates the cable trenches are holding 11,000 tons of radioactive water. Workers have poured about 2,825 cubic feet of cement while pumping water from the trench simultaneously. TEPCO expects injecting cement. That was on the first day. TEPCO expects injecting cement into the trench will commence in December. That's for the uh, trench that exits the Reactor 3 building. The company expects that project also to be completed by the end of March. The freezing didn't work? No, didn't. Well, when it doesn't, freezing doesn't work, uh, pour cement into it. It's high-tech, isn't it? Yes, it is. How do you warn generations 10,000 years into the future to stay away from nuclear waste repositories? Put up a big sign with uh, flames and skulls and crossbones. and No. That's the conundrum facing scientists in the U.S., and some of the solutions have displayed some surprisingly inventive thinking. Uh, we discussed on this program years ago a um, a project where they gathered cognitive scientists and linguists to try to develop uh, signs that would not for for specifically for Los Alamos and the storage dump there, which has gone bluey recently. Uh, how you would devise signs that would not have the ironic and uh, paradoxical result of warning people to stay away, making them think that there's something valuable inside, a la King Tut. Yeah, if only he thought of this. So the problem is the nuclear waste, nuclear waste has the occasional habit of leaking out that can then contaminate the land around it, including the local water table, making the area virtually uninhabitable for thousands of years. So how do you warn generations in the future who might not even be aware there's a nuclear storage facility nearby that a leak has taken place? According to a U.S. science magazine, a new one called Method Quarterly, U.S. scientists are on the case. In the 1980s, a German journal published ideas from academics on how to let populations thousands of years into the future know something is savvy. The results ranged from the outlandish to the downright bizarre. But the really interesting idea came from semioticians Francois Bastide and Paolo Fabri, who suggested the idea of nuclear fork folklore. Their solution is ray cats. Creatures bred to change color in the presence of radiation, like walking, purring, Geiger counters. Just the first part of the proposal, actually. Alongside the cats, they propose that we invent a body of folklore passed on through proverbs and myths to explain that when a cat changes color, you'd better run. Part of that body of folklore? A song. And here's one proposed version. Don't change color, pretty, keep your color, pretty, stay that pretty gray. Don't change color, pretty, keep your color, pretty, keep sickness away. Don't change color, pretty, keep your color, pretty, please, cause if you do, or glow your luminescent eyes, you're all gonna have to move. Don't change color, pretty, keep your color, pretty, stay that pretty gold. Don't change color, pretty, keep your color, keep you from the cold. 
don't change color till you keep your color Cause you need your kind around The minute you change your looks We're bringing you with us out of town Don't change color till you keep your color till you know I don't know why Don't change color till you keep your color till God said it's not right So don't change color or flash your eyes Cause Lord knows if you do I hope you think it's cozy in your travel case Cause it's time to move so Don't change color till you keep your color till you stay that midnight black Radiation changing flies to kill, and that's a fact. The radiation, whatever that is, is something we don't want. Cause it withers our crops and it burns our skin and it turns our livestock on. So don't change color. Little kitty, don't flash your eyes. So don't change color. Little kitty, don't flash your eyes. So don't change color. I might prefer radiation poisoning. The author of the song, Chad Matheny, a former science teacher, says his mandate was to make the song so catchy and annoying that it might be handed down from generation to generation over a span of 10,000 years. You're kidding, right? I'm not kidding. Clean, cheap, too catchy to meet her, our friend the Adam. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the apologies of the week. A Southern California shopping mall has apologized to the family of a young girl with autism after the family said she was turned away from visiting the shops at Mission Viejo to see Santa Claus because Santa was apparently afraid of the girl's service dog. Absudi Santos patiently waited in line for 30 minutes to see the Santa with her service dog, Pupcake. She wanted to ask Santa what he was wishing for this year, but he was, she was turned away. A dog is not a breed when it's a service animal. It's a highly trained companion, said a friend of the family. When the story went on Facebook, the shops at Mission Viejo acted appropriately. We do not condone the behavior displayed by Santa and worked with our partners at the company that hires our Santas to replace this Santa with one that is more compassionate to our, friend, our guests' needs. They apologized. They fired the Santa... And one of the elves, they fired an elf, just for good measure. It wasn't a service elf. Fresno State University received a letter of apology this week from University of Hawaii's play-by-play announcer for a comment he made at the end of the TV broadcast of their football game. Robert Kikaula concluded the Saturday night broadcast by saying, Good night from the armpit of America. He didn't know he was on the air. Deadline Baltimore Army apologized that due to a fogged-in flight, it didn't send a contingent to a media event Wednesday promoting this year's Army-Navy football game. Yes, the Army apologized. Microsoft has publicly apologized for it delaying its most recent round of payments to a number of Xbox Live games developers. According to a game website, Microsoft is often late on making payments to the developers, so often that some of those affected didn't notice that this most recent round of payments was late. A North Texas school board member has resigned from the school district after posting an image of a Ku Klux Klan member with the caption, I'm dreaming of a white Christmas and several racist remarks on his Facebook page. School board member Chris Harris said the KKK post since deleted was taken out of context and was meant as a joke. According to two apologies, two apologies he posted to Facebook. He apologized for his 
multiple remarks. I'm deeply sorry for misrepresenting my views, my town, this district, and my patriotism. My comments and my statements were an emotionally extreme response. I was being accused of being someone who I'm far from being a racist. The chief of the St. Louis County Police Department apologized for a post on a precinct's Facebook page that referenced the police shooting of a 12-year-old Cleveland boy who was carrying a pellet gun. The post urged parents to talk with their children about inspecting any pellet guns they may own to make sure the orange chip was in place. The chief issued the statement acknowledging, acknowledging the post was a misguided communication strategy and was offensive to many people. Didn't identify the officer who posted the message, but vowed the department's social media policy would be media policy would be changed. Tears fell and heads bowed Wednesday as Cheyenne and Arapaho tribe members sat on the steps of the Colorado Capitol, listening as Governor John Hickenlooper apologized for the atrocities of the Sand Creek Massacre on November 29, 1864, that resulted in 160 people being killed by the Colorado militia, most of the victims, women and children, ladies and gentlemen because we're different. Rolling Stone magazine has acknowledged it has reservations about an article it published that made startling and detailed allegations of a gang rape at the University of Virginia. The magazine said its trust in the sole source for the article was misplaced, and they apologized. Part of a new trend in journalism towards one source, because it's cheaper than getting multiple sources, and the stepfather of Michael Brown has apologized for the angry comments he made after the grand jury decided not to indict the police officer who killed his stepson, but said his remarks had nothing to do with the arson and looting that followed him saying, let's burn this bitch down. The Apologies of the Week, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. The program returns next week at the same time over these same stations. You know the list. I'm not going to repeat it this week. But thanks to Pam Halstead, as always, and thanks to Jenny Lawson at WWNO New Orleans for help with today's program. The email address for this broadcast and a list of the music heard here on, as well as Cars I Talk t-shirts. Wow, Christmas coming up. All available at harryshare.com. But I will see you next week at the same time over these same stations. And um, if you're in Los Angeles, San Francisco, or Chicago, keep an eye out for Christmas Without Tears coming, well, actually, if you're in New York, you can keep a, a much closer eye out because it's coming tomorrow night, Monday night, to the Cutting Room in New York City. All these uh, Christmas shows, amazing local talent, wherever we play, for the benefit of local mental health charities and for the New Orleans Musicians Clinic and Assistance Foundation. We'd love to see you there. Oh, by the way, now that all the episodes have aired or premiered, you can binge watch Nixon's The One at YouTube. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO.org, flagship station of the Change is Easy radio network so long from New York City.